0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment
1: with Alvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Ellen Taylor and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, you're invited to join our chat room by going to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat. My partner, Ravinder, is here in the studio and monitoring the chat room now, so Rav, Say hello to everyone, and please give everyone a special invite to your chat room.
2: Well, hello everyone, and of course everyone is welcome to come join the chat room. We have a great group of people, and lots of interesting information gets shared in there, plus the fact we have lots of fun too. So come join us, that's ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat.
1: All right, in today's spotlight, I would like to discuss something I've been working on recently. Uh, The idea, I could have been an atheist. Think about that for a moment. Every week, we interview some of the brightest and most informed people on our planet, and I consider myself lucky to have such an opportunity. Very often, our guest is a well-qualified scientist and or an expert in their field, and they inform us that the notion of God is but a leftover from a time when folks failed to understand the world they live in. A supernatural story designed to replace an otherwise failure of understanding. We are told that the mind is but an emergent property of the brain, that evolution explains life, that mystical experiences including things like out-of-body and near-death experiences are but manifestations of REM sleep or a dying brain, and so forth. We are informed by hard data that free will is largely an illusion and that so-called past-life traumas are explained by epigenetics. Identical twin research demonstrates genetic propensities so powerful that sociobiologists explain behavior as a result of evolution and thereby often conclude That even parenting matters little, if at all. Genetics determines who we are, what we will believe, like and dislike, and how we will behave. Studies have even identified markers of criminality that predispose a person to criminal behavior. I could go on. Indeed, I have done just that. In a new book I'm working on, completing right now, but the point should be clear from this tiny glimpse into the world coming under the grip of our scientific knowledge. We no no longer need a god or a supernatural world to explain the nature of life, say many scientists. We are but meat machines materialized from the natural process known as evolution and therefore only imagination of atoms destined to become some part of something else as atoms. Perhaps our atoms will participate in a million different physical objects one day in the future, or some form of energy, or some other manifestation of the continuum of that which undergirds all of creation. But we, our individual consciousness, Is terminal in every sense. Suppose that's true, and I don't for the record, but for the moment, accepting the premise, what is that supposed to mean? Does it change how we are to behave? Does it alter our goals and ambitions? Does it make us any less human in the higher sense of the word? Does it somehow instantiate an attitude of indifference? I think not if the only reason I care about other human beings are doing the so-called right thing living a life of unselfish dignity doing my best to be a better person practicing the golden rule and so forth is for reward a life in heaven then I'm betraying the very reason I should try to be the best person I can be. My incentive should, after all, be above the nature of reward incentive or what I've done is for selfish reasons alone. As such, I believe that in the big picture, it really doesn't matter. I live my life as though there may be more to everything than the meat machine implies. But if not, I would not change the choice I have made. The famous agnostic Michael Shermer once told me that he lives his life today caring for others in the same way he did when he was a devout Christian. He sees no reason to do less, and neither do I. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Ravinder?
2: You know, this whole subject matter has been of interest to me for decades now. I remember when I was in my teens and a friend of mine apologized to me once for something dumb but he apologized and then because at that time I was very much into religion myself and he was too and by
1: that organized religion
2: yes yes I was brought up Sikh, and at that point I was I was a very devout Sikh Um, but he apologized and said that um, in betraying my trust he had I don't know, denied his God or whatever, and he had gone off the path. And so he was only apologizing to me because he got a black mark in his view, of God's view of him, if that makes any sense to you. It does. Um, and, you know, it's like, well, not much of an apology, is it? it doesn't mean an awful lot. So it's, I mean, I've thought about that ever since. And, you know, the whole idea of altruism, is it possible to be truly altruistic if you're doing it for your god then you're not really being good are you and i think there is a higher purpose in life i hear what you were talking about you know genetics determining who we are and what we are and the whole discussion about free will but for me my life is about expressing my best self for me not for anything else it's just for doing it for me so
1: and that is a continual journey for all of us and one I think worthy of working on regardless of our um, institutional beliefs or our uh, you know, our attitudes towards um, a God or no God. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making the show successful. Last week our show featured Mark Wolin, and we discussed his work and book, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. Fred wrote, Thanks for the Wolin Show. I agree with you. We need to have this discussion as a society. Perhaps then we can learn to better understand each other. Beth wrote, It sounds like parents need to heal their traumas before having kids. I agree with that, Beth. Brian commented, Very interesting show, good guest with research, practical experience, and strong delivery. Moving on, Richard wrote, I am here to tell you, I believe totally in the Intertalk programs. I have either eight or nine of them and use them daily. I have seen amazing results from using CDs from the Intertalk store. Every single night, I finish the day by listening to a restful sleep CD, and I sleep wonderfully. If I, by some chance, forget, I don't. And there are so many to choose from. I love them. Kelly wrote, "Your Intertox CD, Forgiving and Letting Go, was a tremendous help to me and my clients. I had to forgive my mother at age 10. Started psychoanalyzing and became a therapist. Your work is much appreciated." Julia wrote, "This is a wonderful example of how well the Intertox CDs work. I have a lifelong, art- I had a lifelong artistic gift." But as you well know, in our society, artists are not always taken seriously. For years, I not only fought with using this gift, felt totally useless as a person, because it is what I am really good at, and I was not supported in the way of a career. But I also fought with a medium of oil, as well as that of clay, mostly due to the way it was taught. I loved high realism in oil, as well as historical reproduction in pottery, and both were scoffed at in school. A few years ago, I discovered your Intertox CDs. Long story short, over time, I completely reprogrammed my subconscious mind and in so doing was led to the tools and information that I was missing to take my work to the next level in the way that I wanted to do it. Painting has gone from being an uphill battle to a complete joy, and I am making a living doing that which I love. There are no words to sufficiently thank you, Eldon. Well, Julia, you just did, and your words are more than adequate. We love that, don't we, Ravinder?
2: We do. I love that, and her work actually is really fabulous. She's a friend of mine on Facebook as well, and I've seen some of her stuff, and it just proves the importance of you know how you talk to yourself and what you think and what your beliefs, because it was her previous beliefs that were holding her back, and she's amazing.
1: Believing in yourself always matters, period, end of quotation. That's, you know, a model that you should never forget. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts and ideas. Not to today's show. Finding Purpose in a Godless World, Why We Care Even if the Universe Doesn't, with author Dr. Ralph Lewis. Michael Shermer has this to say about Dr. Lewis's book, Finding Purpose in a Godless World. Like other grand synthesizers and interdisciplinary thinkers, Lewis employs evolutionary theory, complexity theory, cognitive science, neuroscience, psychology, anthropology, and other fields to review the best evidence we have for why consciousness evolved out of primitive brains, where goal-directedness and will come from, and how they drive us to strive for meaning, more meaning than other animals, and where our moral sense comes from and why we care about others, even those not related to us. Close quote. That's a big claim. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Dr. Lewis is a psychiatrist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center in Toronto, Canada, an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, and a psycho-oncology consultant at the Odette Cancer Center in Toronto. Dr. Lewis obtained his medical degree in 1990 at the University of Witwatersrand, South Africa, where he grew up. He completed specialty training in psychiatry at the University of Toronto in 1996, followed by a two-year fellowship in neuroimaging research and a Master of Science in neuroscience, both at the University of Toronto. He has held his present staff physician appointment at Sunnybrook since 1998. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment. Dr. Ralph Lewis.
0: Hello, Eldon. a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for, for inviting me.
1: Your book is a terrific read. Yeah, I, I guess this is personal, but I guess I, I am very interested in all of the arguments that propel us towards understanding our world in a scientific way. And yet I have to tell you, your conclusion... Is something I really drag my feet at. Maybe I'm a bit inclined to be a student of John Wisdom. Uh, it was Wisdom who, after all, the great atheist, who said, "Doesn't it make you feel good? It's kind of like having Daddy at the end of the hall when you uh, have a nightmare." Maybe I'm in that camp at school. I don't know, but we'll try and flesh this all out for our listeners today.
0: However, first, I, I, I think we're I think we're all in that camp. To, uh, to some degree, that's human nature.
1: <laughs> I think you're right. We like to know three things on this show, Dr. Lewis. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? To that end, what are you passionate about? And what led you to writing this book?
0: I'm uh, I'm passionate about so many things. But uh, more than anything, I'm passionate about people. Uh, that's, uh, that's why I went into medicine and that's why I specialized in psychiatry. Uh, I also love uh, bridging fields and integrating things, synthesizing ideas. Um, when I look back uh, on the trajectory of my career, I I, I I think that was why I went into medicine in the first place. Was uh, I was interested in both uh, the sciences and the humanities and for me, it uh, was the best integration, and all the more so uh, when I went into psychiatry. And I think the book is just another one of these, uh, these endeavors on my part to try to bring together disparate ideals from, uh, ideas from many different fields. I, 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 you
1: heard today's spotlight, Doctor. What have I got wrong?
0: uh you got wrong about about what Eldon? uh
1: the the spotlight about uh you know uh, all of the science that shows us we shouldn't believe and yet we want to believe.
0: Well, um, no, I, uh I I think I think you're right that um there are lots of things that we we want to believe. Uh there're lots of things that I want to believe. Um science um, often goes against, um, what we want to believe and, and goes against our intuitions. A lot of it is counterintuitive. And, um, I guess part of what I've, um, learned and been impressed by in my career is the unreliability of, of intuition and, um, subjectivity. And, um, you know science really is the method that that we collectively uh, humans have come up with to try to overcome this problem to to uh, bypass our intuitions, our subjectivity, our wishful thinking uh, to to follow the data.
1: okay I, I want to get a little background here before we get into your book. if that's all right. Were you raised in a religious environment, doctor? And you know, just for the record, do you consider yourself to be an atheist or an agnostic?
0: Well let me let me ask, uh, answer that question first. I consider myself to be an atheist. I, I considered myself to be agnostic for most of my life. and um, I, uh, I, I I transitioned uh, from agnostic to atheist something like a, a decade ago, almost a decade ago. Uh, my background, uh, I, I'm Jewish, and I very much identify as Jewish, and uh, I was raised in a traditional, uh, believing, but not uh, terribly religious household. I, I went to a, uh, a Hebrew school for most of my uh, Primary and secondary schooling. Uh, I, uh, as a matter of fact, we we sent our own children to a Hebrew school uh, up up until uh, grade eight, and then to public high school, um, hoping to achieve balance that way. Um, we uh, we still observe religious. Traditions. I'm quite sentimental about religious traditions and about uh, uh, religious and cultural identity, but it, it's not with any belief. So the, the, that may sound paradoxical or contradictory, but uh, I don't think it is. It's, uh, we value cultural heritage. Uh, we value tradition. Uh, we, we value uh, wisdom. That uh, I think there is lots of wisdom, lots of insight uh, to be gained teaching uh, I, I just I, I see all of this as as a human product not in in any uh, shape or form uh, revealed uh, by some God or inspired uh, by, by some by some God all right now
1: religious people have criticized you as offering nothing more than a purposeless gesture that is lacking hope so I want to flesh that out for a minute. Many religious people find great solace in the idea of divine intervention, especially those who suffer greatly. You're a physician, and I've interviewed many physicians on this show that have reported or described uh, seemingly miraculous healings. Hope is a major player in health. As a psychiatrist, I'm sure you're aware of Kurt Richner's classic experiment with drowning rats. Hope alone plays a significant role in life. After, in his words, after the elimination of hopelessness, rats do not die when you try to drown them. Well, that's an exaggeration, but you know the story if he lifted them out of the water and gave them a reason to hope when he put them back in, they would swim for hours and hours and hours as opposed to die in a matter of a few brief minutes. What sort of hope do we have in a godless world? And in your mind, does it matter?
0: Well, I think you, um, I think you actually put it well in your introduction. You know, you know, it probably um, it, it probably doesn't change anything actually about the, uh, the way that we uh, conduct our lives um, the strength of our sense of purpose uh, our uh, our compassion for other human beings the meaning we derive from things I, I you know God is an optional um, belief uh, it', it it's uh, from the point of view of an, of an atheist. It's uh, it's superfluous. It, it's it's an extra, uh, optional but unnecessary belief because it uh, it doesn't change anything, uh, either uh, in terms of our understanding of how the world came about or in terms of our uh, the strength of our sense of. Of purpose, but let me just also clarify that in my clinical work, I'm most certainly not in the business of uh, of uh, dispelling people's religious beliefs, and uh, sure. I, in fact, uh, will will bolster someone's religious belief in the service of helping them to to function better and to be happier, and I, I'm frequently in the position of of urging my patients to. Uh, back to church, for example, if they've been withdrawing from uh, from their community, from their congregation, let's say, as a result of depression. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, certainly it, uh, for many people it uh, it does help them, uh, or at least they believe that it helps them. But the problem with uh, religious belief is it's a double-edged sword, and so... I've dealt, unfortunately, and you know, sadly, with many uh, formerly uh, r- religious people uh, who were devastated by cruel adversity, uh, by what I would certainly see as random adversity. But in their mind, uh, it shouldn't have happened that way. Uh, how could God have let this happen? And they, they feel abandoned by God, and they feel anguished and uh, confused, completely bewildered and disoriented. And uh, it can be a very bitter experience uh, for people who were were devout uh, believers when they suffer terribly cruel adversity.
1: Indeed, a double-edged sword. I like it. So <clears throat> we could basically say, Doctor, that you're a pragmatic atheist, huh? If, um, no, if it works for uh, you...
0: A, a yeah, yeah, I'll, use that. I'll use that. I'll go with that. Thank you, Eldon. <laughs> All right, look.
1: I remember as a child kneeling at the edge of my bedside to say my prayers before going to bed each evening. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The afterlife is important yes. to millions of people. But a godless world suggests there is no such thing. I think that's what most of us don't want to give up. Um, you know that that subtracts so much meaning for a lot of people in their life. I mean, so I, I guess I'm just going to ask you straight out: Is that belief, that afterlife belief, nothing more than, as Freud put it, a sugar-coated neurotic crutch, in your view?
0: Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not a Freudian, uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, uh, yes. Yeah, uh, I those wouldn't have been my words but um, essentially yes it, uh, you know, it, uh, from, from the point of view of an atheist uh, it, it, it's wishful thinking and it's unnecessary wishful thinking and, and so you know to your point about uh, uh, the, the fear of uh, let's call it nihilism, uh, the, the fear that uh, in the absence of belief or the loss of belief, uh, belief in a higher power, belief in a higher purpose, belief in an afterlife, uh, the fear that um, life would then be rendered pointless, uh, purposeless, and meaningless. Uh, my, my book is an attempt at reassuring the, re, uh, the reader that that is not the case, that uh, it, it is not the inevitable outcome of loss of belief. And I attempt in my book to explain why that is. And uh, if, I, if I were to boil it down, it, it, it comes down to this, which is that our sense of purpose, uh, and, and you can add uh, meaning and morality, uh, is not dependent on the universe possessing those properties. Uh, the, it, the, the human sense of purpose, meaning, and morality is not derived from the universe having inherent purpose, meaning, and morality. Uh, it, it, that's an assumption that many people make, uh, mm-hmm. but there's, uh, there's no basis uh, for that belief, and so it's an, again an unnecessary, superfluous belief. Uh, and our sense of purpose, meaning, and morality will emerge very much robustly intact once we uh, once we move past the the belief that the unit the universe has to have those properties in order for us to have those properties.
1: And this we, we've got a break coming up, Dr. Lewis. Um, and, and following the break, I want to drill down into your book. But uh, it it seems to me we, we many of us are trapped between what we'd like the world to be like, and perhaps what it is like. I want to get into the science. I want to talk about some of the details of your research. So we're speaking with Dr. Ralph Lewis about his work and book, Finding Purpose in a Godless World, Why We Care Even if the Universe Doesn't. It is a great read. I recommend it highly. It doesn't matter what, you know, what vent you have, religious, non-religious, atheism, agnosticism, uh, a devout believer. Knowledge about what you believe and why you believe it is discovery about who you are. And if you're not willing to look at who you are, well, then you're missing the whole picture. What possibly might even be the meaning if there is such a thing. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at Purpose Without God. One word, PurposeWithoutGod.com. Now we have a video for you considering the question. How would our public discourse change in a world without religion? So if you're not already in the chat room, now's the time to get on over there. And you can do that by going to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat. Stay tuned. We'll be right
3: back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Many dogs and cats spend endless days indoors staring at the wall, living for the moment when you will come home and tell them you love them, take them out and make a fuss over them. Dogs and cats need physical exercise and mental stimulation, things to do and think about in order to be healthy and happy. Please, set time aside for them and give them a real life and real love. For more information, please contact People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals at 757-622-PETA or helpinganimals.com. That's helpinganimals.com. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it, until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, my hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your Intertalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to intertalk.com.
1: People everywhere are getting to know Earthly Suds Company, the small-batch soap artisans on the coast of Maine. Jennifer Rowland, you founded Earthly Suds 13 years ago. What makes your soap different and better than soap from a grocery store?
2: Okay, so our soaps are made of natural ingredients like olive oil, coconut oil, and shea butter, just to name a few, Unlike commercially made soaps, ours don't contain any waxes, detergents, parabens, or sodium lauryl sulfates.
1: The EarthlySuds.com soaps are beautiful to look at, too. What are some of your most popular?
2: Our goat milk bars, called Island Sunrise and Raspberry and Cream, are two of the favorites for the ladies while Northern Woods is probably our most popular one for men.
1: So how easy is it to order on EarthlySuds.com?
2: It's very easy. Just visit our website, www.EarthlySuds.com, and also like us on Facebook to keep up with our event schedule for craft shows we'll be attending.
1: Visit now, EarthlySuds.com, because good soap doesn't have to be boring.
3: A silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. Like a virulent virus, the effects are spreading. In Gotcha, Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to manage your thinking. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. And this results in framing and reframing classical positions, causing adjustments to personal values and history itself. Your every decision process is being managed and manipulated. Gotcha exposes the arrival of the Orwellian age in full-blown technicolor. In laying bare the current uses of the many sophisticated techniques, Eldon reveals what it is we need to do in order to avoid allowing others to puppet our thoughts. For details, go to eldontaylor.com backslash gotcha. The great courses cover a broad array of university-level disciplines. The lectures in each course are
1: either 30 or 45 minutes long. By listening for less than an hour a day, you can finish even the longest course in just weeks. Browse our catalog or website at thegreatcourses.com and imagine how much you could learn if you spent just 30 minutes a day for the next year in the best college classrooms in the world. The lecturers are university professors, carefully selected by the Great Courses and its customers for intellectual distinction and teaching
0: excellence. Hi, I'm Peter Singer. Many people would like to help those in great need in developing countries, but they don't really know whether a donation will do good. They wonder if the money will get to the people who need it. Now you can find the best organizations by going to www.thelifeyoucansave.org and clicking on where to donate. The life you can save doesn't take any money from the organizations it recommends. It's simply trying to do the best it can. Thank you. Talk radio
1: with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: Unlock the power of your mind.
1: This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Ralph Lewis about his work and book, Finding Purpose in a Godless World, Why We Care Even If the Universe Doesn't. Uh, A very compelling read and one I recommend. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at purposewithoutgod.com. Okay, every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. Music psychology is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. Now, your chosen music doctor is Universal Men by Johnny Clegg and Jaluka. So please tell us, why is this music important to you, and how does it inform us about who you are?
0: Well, I, I grew up in South Africa, as my accent portrays, i spent most of my adult life in, in Canada. Uh, but um, during my high school and uh, and medical school years, uh, South Africa was at the height of the anti-apartheid struggle. And in fact, uh, the uh, state of emergency, uh, virtual police state uh, coincided with uh, almost my entire uh, medical school uh, studies. So uh, the the music you, you played is by a, by a man named Johnny Clegg and his group at the time uh, known as Juluka. Uh, Clegg, uh, who is uh, still singing uh, and uh, recently toured North America despite uh, serious illness, uh, is a progressive South, Af- South African musician who's actually also uh, got a background in anthrop- anthropology. Uh, he became known uh, as the white Zulu, at least that 's what the French called him. Uh, he was uh very taken with uh, zulu African culture and he, he sang in a combination of uh of English and fluent zulu. he had a, a huge influence on young white South African liberals during the the apartheid struggle uh, so uh, I thought it was fitting to uh to pay tribute to his music when you asked me. Uh, for a suggestion.
1: Interesting lyrics. The lyrics themselves seem to suggest that we're struggling between two worlds. Does that have anything to do with, uh, you know, the theme of your life, uh, particularly the theme of this book? Uh,
0: I, 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 I imagine it's, it's a theme for, for many of us, and, and yes, uh, there. I, I suppose um, I could say uh, the, the two worlds of my life uh, background, uh, childhood and youth in South Africa, and by adult life in Canada, uh, the two worlds uh, of, uh, of religion and atheism. Uh, just by the way, what the, uh, the particular song, uh, the, uh, the English uh, lyrics, which uh, uh, people can listen to if they're interested, had to do with migrant workers, my, uh, Zulu migrant workers from rural areas uh uh, living and working in the, in the cities on, on the gold mine. Uh, that's what the two worlds referred to uh, in, in the song itself. Um, but, yes, it's, it's a it's a theme that resonates uh, from for many of us, certainly.
1: Interesting, interesting. All right. Um, you know, Michael Shermer, who I have a great deal of respect with, I've him on the show a couple of times. We've discussed in great detail, you know, the difference between... Um, the nature of the subjective value and the objective universe and agnosticism, atheism, and believing. Uh, Michael Shermer seems to think of you as a general systems theorist. What I read, what I see is you're a psychiatrist. What is a psychiatrist doing writing a book on the purpose of a godless world?
0: Well, uh, you know, Eldon, uh, in my work, I've, I've counseled so many people who've had experiences with with illness, uh, both mental illness and physical illness, because I, I work with cancer patients as well, uh, helping them with their psychological uh, uh, reactions to cancer. Uh, but uh, my patients have very often had calamitous life events, uh, Occurred to them, which, as I was saying earlier, uh, for many of them have, have shattered their their religious beliefs if they if they had been religious before that, and uh, people have, uh, are constantly struggling to come to terms with the utter arbitrariness, the the, the, the randomness of of adversity and uh, in, in this case illness. Uh, The other thing, of course, is um, as a psychiatrist, I'm very much uh, involved in in trying to help people who are suicidal, and I'm sure you're familiar with the the famous uh, Albert Camus quote, there is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. But beyond that, uh, there's so much more that psychiatry has taught me, that my my patients have have taught me, uh, about how people form beliefs. And, of course, in psychiatry, uh, we're often dealing with distorted or mistaken beliefs, sometimes uh, overtly, quite often overtly delusional beliefs, but also just um, more subtly distorted beliefs uh, as um, are, are present in people with depression and anxiety more deeply about how people form beliefs. And and what I realize also is that um, human nature is writ large in mental illness, because the, the cognitive distortions that you and I have, and uh, I certainly have many, just like any other person, the, these are amplified or magnified, uh, some, uh, sometimes to extreme and even absurd degrees in, in mental illness. And, and they're very distortion uh, in, in in healthy people with uh, with what we would regard as normal thought process so there are many many reasons uh, why I'm interested in in this um, I guess also you could say that that the job of a psychiatrist uh, is to to help people
1: Open your book with a story about your wife Karen's life-threatening cancer, and its impact on you. Uh, how did that experience shape your worldview?
0: Yes. Uh, so, uh, you, um, as as you and I were discussing earlier, I was agnostic, uh, and certainly quite partial to to religious beliefs, and quite. Admiring and respectful of of, of religious wisdom, and um, while I certainly was not a literal biblical believer, uh, I never was, uh, and I was certainly sceptical about divine revelation of scriptures and uh, and, and parochial uh, views of religion that uh, that hold that uh, the higher power, whatever that may be. Uh, came down to this planet and uh, to our tribe and delivered this book, uh, dictated this book to us. So that always uh, 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 got uh, got me very skeptical, but I was very partial to the vague uh, belief that there is some kind of higher power and some kind of higher purpose, and that at some level, uh, life and the universe may be Mysteriously directed, uh, cosmically directed towards some end. And so, uh, when Karen uh, was diagnosed with cancer, first of all, of course, uh, we were dealing with this in a much uh, more mundane day-to-day. Uh, no, no, not, not these lofty philosophical ideas. It was, it was shocking. It was uh, highly stressful. It was, uh, it was really a very, very difficult. I won't go into that now, but you can imagine it was all those things you would imagine it to be. And We had three young children, and and she was quite Uh young. Uh, But, you know, after the initial uh, devastating news, we had some extraordinary um, good news uh, in the diagnostic and treatment process for a while. uh, It seemed like uh, almost as though uh, uh, things were happening serendipitously and fortuitously. And... uh, it almost felt like we were being guided toward a favorable outcome. Uh, unfortunately, that was dispelled uh, several times by, by more bad news, but, but ultimately the news is good, and um, Karen is alive and well, um, suffering a few complications from treatment, but uh, but uh, very much a survivor uh, of, of that cancer. Uh, but it's... Um, I realised in in retrospect that I'd been suffering from this uh, uh, illusion that I think uh, so many of us have, uh, almost all of us have at some time in our lives, that things happen for a reason, things are meant to be, uh, that uh, coincidences are somehow guided, uh, and uh, I. I, I I I was skeptical of that, too, because uh, having worked in medicine and in psychiatry, I was very familiar with denial, and I'd seen how this uh, gets deployed by people uh, when they're facing uh, terrible adversity and uh, seemingly arbitrary random uh, illnesses. So I I was skeptical, and yet I still had this eerie kind of sometimes even spine-tingling feeling. and so I I, I was very curious about that as I... uh, uh, in the years that followed, I started trying to understand why it is that this feeling of cosmic guidance and everything happening for a reason is so prevalent, and I think it's central to, to religion. And so I started researching that and trying to understand that better. And of course, Michael, uh, Michael Schirmer has written extensively about that in his own way, and mm-hmm. that's part of what, uh, what drew me to, uh, to his writing. Uh...
1: You know, I, I read your story, and and subjectively, there's a part of me that says, you know, well, that's pretty miraculous. That does does appear that there, you know, there was some purpose to this. There was some synchronistic uh, something or other going on, some reason. And I think any reader that does read this story is going to come basically to that kind of conclusion. So I can understand how you got there. Here's where I go, though. Do you think, Doctor, that there's any such thing as a miracle? I mean, do you think all these stories, um, miraculous recoveries, uh, people that don't show up for a choir and the entire church burns down and they've never been laid, all these stories, uh, they have a physical explanation or do you think there is such a thing as a
0: miracle? I do not think that there is any such thing as a miracle in any shape or form.
1: Anthony Flew, doctor, allegedly regarded as a devout atheist, the most famous of all atheists, changed his mind before he died, and his last book was titled, There is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. Do you think that it's possible to you to ever change your mind?
0: I I, I certainly do, and I uh, I certainly hope that I'm uh, I am open-minded, and uh, I I have changed my mind fundamentally on many things uh, in the past, and I, I hope that on the on the larger uh, uh, issues, what has swayed me has been evident. and. And I hope that in the future, if I were to change my mind again, I'm sure I will on fundamental matters, uh, it will be evidence, uh, rigorous evidence, that that changes my mind.
1: I have to ask that question simply because I suppose when I was in college, I was uh, a devout agnostic, if not atheist, and uh, enjoyed debating theistic folks and... uh, and I switched. I went the other way, the opposite way you went. So yeah. it, 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 is, you I, I, All right. It? <laughs> yeah. I have to ask you then, okay, look, it's obvious that I'm guilty of this. Why do people believe that the universe should or does have some inherent purpose and that things happen for a reason? What's the psychology behind that?
0: The, the psychology behind that is actually uh, not very complicated. Um we ourselves, uh, it goes without saying, are, are, are very purpose, uh, purposeful, purpose-driven uh, creatures, and uh, we've evolved this way uh, as social animals. Uh, to, uh, and we've evolved, we've evolved uh, as social animals to be extremely adept at uh, detecting other people's intentions. And in, in fact, other animals' detentions, predators and and prey—we uh, have uh, we've had to uh, evolve this this ability ex- exquisitely well in order to survive. And the the problem is that uh, we overshoot. We are and for, for reasons that uh, that Michael uh, explains well, and uh, I won't reiterate his explanation because I uh, uh, I think. Uh, heard it, uh, and your listeners on your show have heard it before, uh, but it ha- it has to do with uh, the example that he gives. Very simply, is uh, the the rustle in the in the grass is it the uh, is it a predator or or is it just the wind? Uh, and so uh, we're descended from from people who are uh, who who, if you like, were more paranoid. Um, had a greater tendency were' more likely to to think that this was an intentional agent uh, threatening them rather than just saying, oh, okay, it's just random and uh, so we overshoot and we have a tendency to to think that things that are that are random are actually intentional. so we over identify patterns and we over-attribute deliberate intention, or another word for that would be agency, uh, to random, random events.
1: Right. Uh, all right. We're running short of time, and there's so much more that I want to talk to you, so I'm going to just kind of bulletproof. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to cover some of them in bullets, all right? Yep. Why, how did consciousness
0: evolve
1: out of primitive brains?
0: Well, uh, we don't know the whole answer to that, of course, right? Uh, we're just at the beginning of understanding consciousness uh, as a as a bio- biological uh, medical science. Uh, but um, consciousness uh, consciousness is an uh, an elaborate outgrowth of uh, if you if you want to think of it that way of of more primitive nervous functions that have to do with um, Simply, uh, helping, uh, simply enabling an animal to respond to a stimulus. So nobody knows, uh, nobody knows why we have such elaborate uh, consciousness, but there are many things in evolution that are like that, that just uh, are a function of, of a runaway process of, of greater and greater complexity uh, and have evolved that way almost just because they can. Uh, so there's a lot of debate uh, about you know whether consciousness is a, is is really such an asset or is it a liability, uh, but presumably it's uh, it's 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 got a whole lot to do with the extraordinary success of, of Homo sapiens relative to to other animals. I mean I think that much is uh, is pretty obvious.
1: I'm reminded of Clifton Fadiman's quote. And God plagued man with the ability to think, <laughs> yeah.
0: free will, Doctor. Yes, um, I. Yeah, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead.
0: Okay, uh, I. I don't think it's possible to uh, for there to be such a thing as free will in in an absolute sense, in in pure principle. Uh, from a from a medical, from a scientific and biological point of view, it's not possible for uh, us to have free will that is truly untethered from all of the determinants. Uh, however, uh, our, our decision-making ability, the brain's, uh, the human brain's decision-making ability, is so extraordinarily complex that we might as well have free will. We might as well regard ourselves as having free will because there's, it, it, it's probably not even possible in pure principle to ever design a computer even in the distant future that could predict uh, the response of a human brain to a particular stimulus. There, there, It's, it, it's just way too complex, quite possibly uh, even in principle for any computer uh it's imaginable to ever predict. So we might as well have free will. So, again, pragmatically, I, I believe in free will, but in pure theoretical principle, no, I don't.
1: All right, and we are out of time, and I have got 40 more questions for you. We're going to have to bring you back to the show another time. The book, Finding Purpose in a Godless World, by Dr. Ralph Lewis, M.D. Uh, do get a copy of this book. I want to thank you, Dr. Lewis, uh for your work and for your willingness to share so candidly with us your experiences uh, and, and your, your contribution to understanding the human condition. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time, same place. Until then, remember, believing in yourself always matters.